Welcome to episode 36 of 1530. Today we're going to be talking about some Maiden Masters titles. We've had a couple guys recently win their first Masters 1000 titles. Pretty big deal. I know a lot of players actually don't end up even winning any. I know uh, Raonic has been in, I think, three or four finals, but he's never won one. But I think with the absence right now, the big three a little bit, especially with COVID concerns or injury concerns for Federer, there's been some opportunities for these young players to, to win some Maiden Masters 1000. So one one guy that was able to win one was Stefano Tsitsipas. We all know he's won the ATP Finals two years ago, but he was able to win his first Masters 1000 title. He beat Andre Rublev, kind of his budding rival there. He beat him in Monte Carlo. Welcome to 1530. Now introducing your host, Ben and Matt. Out of the day is 86%. Um, so that's the that's the percentage of first serve points won by Pass on his first serve. And that's that's if that, that number seems high to you, it, it 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 is a little bit high, especially for Clay Court. That's that's pretty insane. That's that's something to that you usually see on like a faster hard court or a grass court, something Roger Federer or maybe even Isner, one of the bigger servers, is having. And he's having that against Rublev, who is a pretty solid returner on a clay court. So pretty amazing by by Tsitsipas. And another stat to go along with that is overall he won 79% of his service points won. So now, again, another ridiculously high number, meaning, again, he's able to just dictate with that serve. And his attacking tennis is working well on clay, which I think is pretty interesting. We talk a lot about clay and a lot about Nadal's grinding style, but I think Tsitsipas is finding ways to win on clay that maybe are more like uh, Roger Federer or even Robin Soderling, if you remember that name from back in the day, doing well. But there's Tsitsipas. Any any thoughts on that, Matt, on on Tsitsipas getting his first Masters 1000 and kind of the clay swing in general this year? Yeah, it was only a matter of time, right, before Tsitsipas finally started bringing home the, the hardware. Um, good for him. And I think it's the first of a lot. I think it's it'll be interesting. I, yeah. It'll be interesting to see as the big three start to manage time a lot more. I want to say it dampens the, <laughs> the <laughs> tournament win, but it, it makes, makes it easier. Yeah, yeah, right. It makes it, it's a different conversation, but but no, it's still still difficult to get all the way through a tournament and to get the final win. So, no, that's great. Yeah. Played and that being match. said, I mean, you're, you're definitely right. I mean, Federer obviously wasn't there, you know, kind of doing some more training. I know still recovering from his injury, but Nadal and Djokovic were there in the tournament. They just lost pretty early yeah, on. They true. lost. Djokovic was what, first or second round, excuse me, second, and yeah. and Nadal was quarterfinal. So, Tsitsipas didn't have to face either of them. Rublev did the hard job beating Nadal <laughs> with the, what, what is it, 11-time champion or something ridiculous? Yeah, 12 times in Monte Carlo. So Rubov did the hard job. Tsitsipas, we still had to beat some good players. but And then Dan Evans took out Novak Djokovic in a shocking straight setter. That was kind of interesting to watch. But, yeah, it's a, it's a good point, though, like Shane. The big three are not going to be in every tournament anymore. And so more and more room for these guys. I know Rublev has been dominating the Masters 500s. I think he has the longest streak for winning. Or maybe, maybe that just got broken. But... He won Rotterdam this year, won Hamburg and some other ATP 500s, Dubai. 
because, you know, the big three, they're really not showing up in a lot of these 500 tournaments. So Rublev has clearly been a, 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 benef, uh, a benefactor for that. But, yeah, it'll be interesting, like you're saying, the other players who can fill the power vacuum, you could say, right? Mm-hmm. Who's going to take up these ranking points? So I think Rublev's at a record high ranking seven. So I think you just push Federer down another notch. So, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy times in the tennis world, not only due to COVID, but just these young players get better and better. Yeah, yeah certainly. It's good. It's good tennis. Nice to see new faces up there. Yeah. Two other young guys we'll talk about real quick. So Miami, uh, Masters, another Masters 1000. This one, as you were talking about, Matt, not all the big three were there. In fact, this is the first tournament uh, since 2004, the 2004 Masters, Paris Masters, sorry, was the first time that there was no member of the big three competing. Up to that point, there was at least one member of the big three in every Masters tournament. This, again, is going back to 2004. So pretty crazy because Fed was out for injury and Nadal and Djokovic didn't want to travel to the U.S. for COVID concerns, I think is what they said. So, And then Medvedev lost in the quarters. You know, he's kind of struggled since his... Uh, since his uh, Australian Open uh, finalist, uh, being a finalist there. So he's kind of struggled since, but this this gave uh, room for a new Masters 1000 champion once Medvedev lost. So Murray uh, Murray team and Vavrinka pulled out of the tournament. And so Chilich was actually the only uh, major champion who was at the tournament. And we know Chilich has kind of been struggling, uh, I think, the past kind of couple years. So we had Janik uh, Sinner, Yannick Sinner, uh, the young Italian. I don't know if you've seen him play or seen his game style, but kid is 19, but he can play. He's really, really good on both wings, forehand and backhand. People talk about him as like a young Djokovic, but that guy has some serious power, really good shot making, good at the net, good good at everything pretty much. But he was defeated in straight sets by Herbert Herkatch, which he's um, – other young guy who had to beat plenty of good people like Tsitsipas and Rublev on his way to his maiden Masters 1000. So again, another new guy winning a Masters 1000. That's pretty hard to do. I don't care if the big three isn't there, aren't there or not. <laughs> he still had to beat some good names. So no doubt. Um, yeah, I think Isner won his won his first one too in Miami. That was last year over Zverev. So yeah. pretty cool. Or maybe that wasn't last year. It was a couple years ago because Federer's the. Yeah. Most recent defending champ. And Isner made the final again, but Federer, Federer beat him while Isner was kind of injured. But, so again, pretty cool. Uh, like you're saying, the new faces are fun to watch. You know, people keep talking about how this Yannick Sinner, he's he's kind of the future of the game. We already know Pass and Rublev are kind of the present of the game. And then Adal, Djokovic, Federer, they don't seem to go away either. So, <laughs> pretty fun stuff, though. Let's see... Um, and Matt, let's talk real quick before we jump into some numbers, because I want to obviously jump into the numbers for all these matches, but talk to me about Dominic Team. I haven't really been hearing, hearing too much about him, except for negative things, maybe. What's going on with Dominic? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, I don't have his phone number, unfortunately. Bummer. Can't just call him up, but, uh, and I'm sure most of our listeners who are going out of their way to find tennis podcasts have probably heard one of the interviews that he had recently, just kind of talking about um the 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 loss of focus maybe that he got after he won that first slam um just kind of losing a little bit of motivation and add on top of that he's been dealing with some some injuries um so i think it's just been a combination of that 
um, mental and physical game that has just led to uh, less than less than his normal level of play uh, in 21 so far. So he's had some pretty poor results so far. Yeah, that's kind of a bummer. I know it's not a huge sample size, right? He's only played played pretty poorly in the Australian Open. Kind of could tell maybe some injury was bugging him, but also just not his same fighting spirit against Dimitrov. But then I think he played in Dubai and Doha and lost pretty promptly in the first round there. So he hasn't been, he hasn't played in the last two clay matches or clay tournaments, and I don't know if he will before the French, even though his stated goal is to win the French Open. But like you're saying, just kind of struggling, maybe a little bit of a hangover from his US Open win, which is surprising because I feel like team is always hungry, but really not seeing that from him this year. So hope he can get back on the right track. He was, uh, in fact, one of the best players on hard court last year with you know, statistically, and he's been the second best clay quarter. You know, you could argue Djokovic maybe, but, you know, he's been, he's made more French Open finals than Djokovic recently. So you could argue he's been one of the best clay quarters the past, maybe even five years, four or five years. So it'll be interesting to see how far he can go in the French Open this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's especially interesting to me that this, self-diagnosed lack of, of focus when uh, outside of Nadal, he's, you know, he's been, you know, titled the the Prince of Clay. He's been consistently competitive, consistently good on clay. And so it, it, in my mind, at least, and obviously I'm no, I'm no pro athlete, but in my mind, it would make sense that, all right, even if I win the U S or the, yeah, the U S you know, I'm looking forward to the French. I'm looking forward to where I'm consistently good in, in competing well against Nadal, you know, who is practically unbeatable in, in the French. So it's that's what's interesting to me is that, you know, we've entered clay season and still haven't seen team, you know. So I'm not complaining. <laughs> if he's a little rusty going into going to Paris, that's fine by me. But right. Uh, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he plays in the French if he's able to play. And maybe you know, maybe he's got some physical problem that's causing more of a problem than anybody's aware of. But. Yep, no, I agree with that. And uh, just real quick for those, I know some of the rankings are a little bit in flux. It's a little complicated because I think COVID is kind of protecting some of people's rankings. Like I know Federer's been a major benef- benefactor from that. But kind of want to run through the rankings real quick because I had a couple uh, observations. So number one, of course, is Novak Djokovic kind of far and away, of course. Winning multiple slams kind of helps you with that. Number two, Medvedev, right, making the Australian Open final. And he's been really consistent at pretty much all the major events. So Medvedev, three is Nadal. Again, no surprises there. Four is team, right? He won the U.S. Open. Uh, has a lot of points from last year. So he's four. Tsitsipas has risen all the way up to five. Doing really good. Zverev at six. Rublev, like I said, seven, his career high. Federer at eight. Schwartzman at nine. Diego Schwartzman. And then 10 is Berrettini. So you're a little surprised at some of those. Maybe not the names in the top 10, but some of their positions. Uh, it's a little interesting. And Matt, I was just going through and looking at, hey, who plays pretty good on clay out of all those guys? So obviously you look at Djokovic, Nadal. Those guys go pretty far in clay. We talked about team. Usually goes pretty far in the clay clay season. Tsitsipas has proved it. Semifinals last year at Roland Garros. Won his 
made in Masters 1000 at Monte Carlo. So Boss is clearly good on clay. Zverev has gotten a lot better on clay past couple years. Kind of like Menzer Murray, where Murray wasn't comfortable at all, and then all of a sudden makes a French Open final, you know, starts going really far in the French. You have uh, Rublev, excuse me, again, you know, he's won. He won Hamburg last year. He seems to go pretty far in clay. He made Monte Carlo final. Federer, you know, even though, you know, he gets a lot of um, criticism for clay, he's made, what, four or five French Open finals. The guy's not a slouch. He just has to work a little harder, and he yeah. can be upset on clay. But, you know, if he's healthy, he could he could go potentially far. So, in Schwartzman, obviously, clay is his best surface. Berrettini's not that bad on clay. So it's like all the top 10, we don't really have any specialists. The only one that's not good on clay was <laughs> really. Yeah. And I don't even know why. I'm ready. <laughs> for it. He's just not comfortable. So yeah. this French Open, if people are healthy, I think this could be really interesting depending on the seating. So I, I'm not seeing as much of, you know, Roundish isn't in the top 10. I know he struggles on clay. Some of these people that, you know, more uh, built for faster courts or clay or grass courts, I'm not seeing that in the top 10 right now, Matt. I'm seeing – all the guys are really solid on ground strokes. All the guys seem to go or could go really far in clay. So just thought that was an interesting observation, except for Medvedev maybe, but. <laughs> well, I agree. I think that's a good point. And um, I I think you look at this past clay tournament where both Rafa and Joke uh, crashed out. You know, you look at those matches and obviously it's just one match. And, you, can, you know, we talked about last year how Nadal – um, averages what two two clay tournament warm up two clay warm up tournaments before the French two to two and a half. So usually he's getting one at least. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is usually in the past I wasn't super worried about Nadal getting beaten in one of these warm up tournaments, but I feel like I feel like he's looking a little rougher this year. I think if ever the door was open it's happening here in 21. And just like you said, you know, you've got the top 10 here who all except for maybe one are comfortable and, and confident on, on clay have the ability to, to really go deep. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think, I think um, if Rafa plays in the French, the way he's been playing um, in these, these lead up tournaments, he's, he's not, gonna, he's not going to make it, but. Yeah, I mean, and seeding is everything, right? Matchups are everything. And that's true. That's true. You know, he could he could match up, you know, Dimitrov's not top 10, but he's seeded pretty high, and he seems to always have his number on clay. So all Nadal needs is a few matches. I think he's most vulnerable, as we've seen earlier. Rounds that's a good point. makes the final. I mean, I think, you know, yep, pretty, that's good, a good point. pretty good odds. But I, I think early rounds, that's when he's been upset. His fourth round, quarterfinals, that type of stuff. So, I, I, yeah, if he gets a dangerous draw, like you're saying, I think I – think, you know, I, I never bet against the dog. I've given up playing this game. Sure. Betting against him on the French. But if, if there's going to be a year and he gets kind of a rougher draw, it's not it's not a guarantee, you know. That's what well, we'll put it that way. It's not a guarantee he'll win. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a good point like you brought up. And, and if there's one guy I do not want to face, I don't care if I'm Djokovic or Nadal, I don't want to face Andre Rublev on any surface anywhere. That guy is such a tough out. You know, even Tsitsipas that beat him, he was playing some insanely offensive tennis. He was going for the lines. He was hitting them. He was playing beautiful variety, uh, you know, some drop shots. Like I said, some beautiful forehands. So, you know, it takes a lot to beat Rublev. That guy's a fighter, and he can turn defense to offense really fast. 
I don't want to play him. I don't want to see him in early rounds. And CC Pass, he's shown it time and time again. Two sets to love down against Nadal. Australian Open beats him. Two sets to love against Djokovic down in Roland Garros. Pushes him to a fifth set. I don't want to see Tsitsipas, especially <laughs> if I'm two sets to love up and thinking I'm good to go because Tsitsipas will fight for every point. So yeah. I think everyone's dangerous, but those are a couple of guys that are looking like they're in pretty good form right now. So Agreed. This could be interesting. Well, let's let's get into some numbers. I think we're talking pretty good narrative about what, what we're seeing. So first, let us let me just switch to a number that you were referring to. So I have some data I've compiled pretty much ever since Nadal started winning the French Open back in 2005. So this is this is showing his the amount of tournaments that he has won, warm-up tournaments going into every year because he's only not won the French three times. Uh, once he lost to Robert Soderling in 09, the other one he lost to Djokovic in 2016, and then the next year, 2017, he withdrew, I think, a wrist injury or something. So really only lost twice but it hasn't won it three times since he's been dominating the clay court tennis world in 2005. So going real quick through this on average, he's won two and a half warm-up tournaments. And for the listeners, the warm-up tournaments, you generally have four of them, Monte Carlo, Barcelona, Madrid, and Rome are the four that the uh, doll usually plays in all four of them. So he's usually winning a little bit over half, right? Two and a half of those. The years that he lost, interestingly enough, he, so the Robin Sutherland one was kind of a fluke. He still won three of them, but the other two times he won one tourney uh, or sorry, zero tournaments in the year that was quarterfinal to Djokovic. So that was a little bit riding on the wall. And then the other year he won two of them. So still below his average. So kind of interesting. Last year was um, obviously there was only one clay court warm-up tournament, which he was quarterfinals in, in Rome. He still won the French, right? Nadal proved he's Nadal. <laughs> Plays really good in the French um, Open, even though, again, it was in October. It was kind of an interesting year. But this year, we'll see. We'll have a little bit more of a better, bigger sample size. And like you're saying, Matt, what we're seeing so far, you know, losing to Rublev and then in Barcelona, kind of struggling, I think, two three-set matches, one to a qualifier ranked outside the top 100, another to Nishikori, who's good. But still, it'll be interesting to see how Nadal does the rest of the way. And I'll, I'll be charting the data here to see – if he gets close to his two and a half tourneys one this year, and also I'm keeping track of his sets dropped because there's also some correlations there. So more to come on that, and we'll definitely give you some more data right before the French Open to kind of give you a forecast for how Nadal is looking on clay, at least statistically. But yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting. Nadal is just so good; it's just weird to see him not be flawless on clay. But I think he can. He's proved he can still get it done, even even if he has to win ugly. Mm -hmm. Agree. And again, I mean, you go back to five setters are just always completely different beasts than than a best of three. So you add that extra set in there, and it makes it a lot more difficult to get out these big players. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's uh, let's dive into some numbers. So I already kind of covered a little bit of Tsitsipas Rublev Monte Carlo final. So really just focusing on Tsitsipas' serve numbers. But real quick, let's talk about Rublev's serve numbers. So he was winning uh, 80% of his first serve points won. So again, that's a crazy high number. Tsitsipas was 86%. But seeing 80% on a clay court match, again, I know Rublev is master of this too. Is Right after his, his serve, he's able to kind of put away that first shot. That first shot is offensive. But... 
for his second serve points won, it was 33%. That's that's going to be hard to win any match if you're if you're doing that at 33%. So I think that was kind of the moral of the story there as Rublev needs to figure out how to protect his second serve better on clay, at least against Tsitsipas. But his first serve and his, his points going off of his first serve were, were excellent. So that's the main thing I wanted to talk about there. I think that was the main reason why Rublev lost. He was struggling on the return game in general, and then he couldn't defend his second serve. And Tsitsipas and all his variety were able to take advantage. And he played, like I said, pretty much flawless. He didn't even face a break point. So. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. That's a good match if you don't yeah. face a single break point. It's pretty hard. Okay, so let's move on to Rublev Nadal. So, Matt, let's, uh, let's hear your take on Rublev Nadal. If you got the numbers in front of you there. Yeah, I got it. Have, have a Nadal fan look at it. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll uh, tell you my first. I'll tell. You, I'll tell you my first thought though before you before you go. My go my it. first thought is just the second serve points one doll. It was only forty two percent, and usually his second serve ones are even better than his first serve. Generally, his first serve was not great. It was fifty six percent, but okay. I mean, you you can win off of that if your second serve is fifty six percent. And again, like with his clay numbers, I feel like his first and second serve are about the same. Sometimes the second's even better. So I'm not used to seeing any time he wins a second serve points below 50%, but especially on Quay, I feel like it's usually closer to 60. So that was my first impression. If you yeah, absolutely. Other- and that's, that's, oh, sorry. No, that's it. That's all I have. That's my biggest concern, right? I, I sit here and say, well, if, you know, if ever there was a year where he looked weak, this is it. His, 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 his serve has been, a point of major improvement in the past years um, such that he can really use it as a weapon. And at the moment it's, it's disappeared. I don't know what's happened. I don't know if he's having back problems still or what's going on, but it, it's not the same serve that, um, that we've seen recently from Rafa that's allowed him to, to be successful on the court. And so I, yeah, I mean, you, you brought it up in his loss to Rublev and I think um Unless he can really find that again, he's going to have a problem. Yeah. The other interesting one is just looking at his double faults. And so maybe, again, maybe there's a pattern or maybe it was just a fluke, you know, one data point match, but 8% double fault rate seems pretty high for Nadal. Again, don't know what his average is, but I'm assuming it's much less than that. So a little concerning there. But again, you know, maybe it's just one bad day. Maybe Rublev is making him uncomfortable or maybe like you're saying – Symptoms of a bigger problem overall. I'm not, I'm not quite sure yet looking at serve numbers. So another thing to watch, Nadal serve, second serve, double faults on the clay court. See if he can get it done in Barcelona and beyond Madrid, Rome, and of course Paris. Okay, anything else to say on Rublev Nadal? Just that, um, I mean, you if you want to look at break points as well, Nadal only converted four of the 12 chances that he had to break Rublev, so not super high, 33%. I mean, obviously, it's tough to get the break. It's tough to really to get that point, but I don't know. I feel like that's low. I don't have yeah. any numbers to back that up, what his, his average normally is, but... No, I'd agree with that, especially on clay. I think if it was a different surface, maybe I'd say that's fine, but I think for clay, I, I'd agree. That seems low to me as well. 
Let's see here. So I'm pulling up. I'm trying to pull up Nadal's clay this last year. Let's see. Career versus last 52 weeks. Be interested to see some of these numbers here. But let's move on real quick while I'm pulling, up, pulling that up. So I think, yeah, that's pretty much all I have with Rublev. Again, Rublev's pretty dangerous no matter what. It was interesting to see Rublev's second serve points one were actually kind of low even against Nadal. They were, they were even lower against Tsitsipas, but 42%. You know, maybe Rublev got a tiny bit lucky there that Nadal was serving so poorly on his second serve. But Rublev, I think, has got to figure that out. I don't know what he needs to do because he's a, he's a solid server. So I don't know. He's just getting a lot of pressure on that second serve. But all right. And overall, let's talk real quick, too. Again, Rublev won 53% of the total points won to Nadal's 47%. So, you know, we talk about talk about tennis which can be just a couple points here and there but if you're winning 51 52 especially 53 percent of the total points won that's pretty dominant I think I think we did some numbers before if you win 50 52 percent of the total points won it's like a 90 percent chance you're going to win the match it's it's extremely high I think only something like a tiebreak or something would would throw off those numbers so uh, it was it was not like it was a tight seven six that Rublev beat beat Nadal on. It was it was a solid match win for him. Hopefully something he can build on, and something Rafa will want to either forget or learn from. So let's move on to Dan Evans. This is the most surprising one. I mean, not that Evans isn't a solid player, but to me, first of all, the clay. I didn't realize he was that good on clay. I, I knew hardcore he can be he can be fairly crafty on, but Djokovic is one of the most solid people on clay besides Rafa. And he lost in straight sets. So let's look at the numbers behind it. I know Evans used a ton of slice on the backhand, was probing with the forehand like he always does, but Djokovic was missing tons of shots. So let's go quick through here. Djokovic double faults were, again, kind of high like Nadal, 6%. Uh, Dan Evans didn't look like he double faulted at all. His second serve points won were 46%, so – in the 40s, like Nadal, of course, Evans was about the same, 46%. So both really low. He only saved 29% of his break points to Evans, 70%. So it just wasn't quite mentally ready to save those points. Let's see what else is going on here. And then first serve points won. Evans, you know, I mean, his serve is okay, but he, he, he won 62% of his first serves to Djokovic's 57 So... I mean, I would think even even on clay, Djokovic should be winning, you know, a decent amount, way above 60, I would say. And he was not even at 60%. So, again, I don't know if it was just a bad serving day for Djokovic. He talked about after the match. It was the worst match he could remember playing. No positives to take from it. He just played bad. It was all on him. You know, not much credit to Evans because he played so bad. And kind of from the highlights I saw, maybe that's true. But I don't know if something's bugging Djokovic or if he's just uncomfortable on the clay right now. But – he looked pretty bad. We'll put it that way. <laughs> Again, with the percentage of points won, Evans won 52.5% of the total points won, right, to Djokovic's 47.5. So, again, had you just looked at these numbers and not the score line, you would know Evans like a 90-something percent chance of winning the match. And he did. He won it in straight sets. Again, no 7-6, no tie break. It was, it was pretty much all Evans. So, any anything to say, Matt, about the Evans-Djokovic? match there no i'm sure it's a blip but uh yeah 
it'll be interesting to see. Is do you know because Joke's not playing Barcelona? Is he's planning on playing any other warmups? So he's playing right now. Instead, he's doing like the Serbian Open, which I didn't realize they did at Clay One, but he's he's playing that instead. Okay. There's okay. some other decent players there. Not not maybe not to the caliber of Barcelona, but he's doing that one, and I think he's planning on doing Madrid and uh, uh, Rome. Gotcha. So I think he's I think he's playing for all of them except for he swapped Barcelona for for the Serbian Open. So go to the home country. Go to the home country, just like Federer's planning to play the clay, but he's only planning to do at least from what I heard Geneva, which is the week before the French Open. Then he'll do the French. So I haven't heard of him playing Madrid or any of these other ones, but same thing. He's going to do the home the home clay court and then see what happens in the French. So be exciting to see Federer out there. Just watch him in general, but also. You know, he is kind of fun to watch on clay as well, his variety. Absolutely. Okay. But, yeah, like you're saying, I, I kind of agree that's more of a blip, I think, for both, for Evans and for, for Djokovic especially. But yeah, yeah. Evans yeah. would say he's like, yeah, Djokovic, you know, he's making me wait in the locker room a lot longer than normal. So he's like, I was already pretty annoyed. So he's oh, like, no. hey, I like there's extra motivation. I thought that was pretty funny. He's like, you need extra motivation to play the top-ranked player in the world. But, you know, players have their different ways to – get motivated i guess yeah maybe put a little more ice in his veins yeah exactly let's see yeah that's i mean and here's another one return points one for Djokovic, 44 percent. you know that seems that seems pretty low and maybe maybe he wouldn't quite make 50 percent on that but he'd at least be higher 40s is what i'm is what i'm guessing uh, that we'd see there but let me just check. All right. Matt, do you want to run us through this, uh, the Miami final while I try to pull up some Nadal numbers real quick? Sure, let me pull it up. All right. So this is one, again, for the listeners, this was uh, uh, Herbert uh, catch against Yannick Sinner. So pretty interesting. I think this one what did have a 7-6 tiebreak in the match. And Sinner was one, of course, this was his maiden. That means they're both their maiden Masters 1000 final. And, yeah, Sinner was super solid, but still lost to Hercatch, which, you know, he was he was feeling everything, which is pretty cool. So, okay, yeah. I mean, this is interesting. The first thing you look at, right, are your first serve points one and your second serve win percentage. And her cuts had actually a 35% win percentage on a second serve. That's that's pretty low, right? Especially for a, a win compared to center's 48.4%. Um, but the difference is on that first serve. So her cuts was winning 70% of his first serves, first serve points, whereas center was down at 55%. So that's probably where your major difference is coming. Her um, cuts didn't save any of his break points. Let's see how many he faced. I'm only looking at percentages here. One second. So if you look at the raw data, so yeah, so that's interesting. So Arcats had 11 break chances um, on center, whereas um, was only faced with three break points. Um, center converted all three of those, but man, when you're giving up 11 break chances, that's tough. So, mm -hmm. uh, 
So did this go to a tiebreaker? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that makes more yeah. sense, right? So the first set was a tiebreak, seven six, and then um, seven four, and then six four. So yeah, so I mean that first serve win percentage was able to control the match with that. I'm cruise straight set wins. Is center is is this the matchup? There's there are two players that in the span of like four tournaments played four times. I think this is them, and I think that center beat Urquhart's the first three times. Oh, really? I didn't realize that. I could be wrong, but I think that's I think that's right. I remember seeing something about it. Urquhart's, yeah, I, I think, actually started saying something no <laughs> to way. the effect of stop scheduling the, the draws this way because I, I just keep crashing out to center. But it's just the way I that it worked out. Yeah, no, that's just, funny. That's really funny. But I guess he finally got revenge if that is the situation. So yeah, let me let me take a quick peek over here on the catch. Yeah, Sinner's just he's just amazing to watch. You know, the players, I think one of the players that he beat early in the week, I think it was uh Bublik. Uh I believe he's a Russian. He he's been actually doing really well in this kind of COVID bubble without fans. But he was like, Man, you're not human, you know, after the match, kind of shaking hands, but all like making jokes with him, but honestly, like, dude, you're too good, man. Like, and Sinner's like, wait, what? Kind of <laughs> Because Sinner kind of had to come back in that match. And another player that Sinner beat who is really good on all surfaces, but especially hardcore and clay, has been Roberto Batista Agut, which he won in a, uh, a tight match in Miami. And then he just beat him in Barcelona today. So, you know, Sinner's shown some great mental, you know, I think anybody needs mental strength to beat Batista Agut because he's so consistent, so hard to get past him. You know, someone like Sinner who can play very offensive, I could see him being frustrated and trying to go for too much. But, you know, very good composure by by the young guy. You know, that, that Miami match, I watched some decent highlights there, and it was that was a tough one for him, I think. So he he could definitely be the future here. Ben says, and, and if anybody remembers from last year, the French Open, he actually gave Nadal a scare. And I'll say a scare because Nadal won every match in straight sets last year. <laughs> but – at the French Open. However, a couple of the sets were tight, and Sinner was playing really well. I think he even went up a break in at least one set, and he was playing some very offensive tennis for Clay. And people were, man, this guy. That's when I first really took notice of Sinner was against Nadal because he held his own, still lost, but he played pretty well. Let's see. And then, like I said, I was going to pull up some numbers for us for – for Nadal. So here's what I want to look at. Matt, I think your hunch was kind of right on. So you look at his clay court numbers over his career. So his career, this is pretty awesome too. Just 92% of, of matches won on clay. First career. That's an amazing number. And I know, okay, people would say French Open. I know he's only lost a couple times, but this is including all the warm-up tournaments. You know, that's pretty amazing. 92% clay court matches. So this year he's won 85% of those matches. But here's, here's where it gets interesting. So his return numbers are honestly better in a lot of ways, especially on the first serve. He's winning 6% more first serve return points. And now it's, it could be a small sample size, so maybe it'll kind of average out as we go on. He's winning 8% more break points. But if you go to the serve numbers, the serve numbers are worse. But the ones that are worse, are it's weird. It's like the first serve percentage, which usually we say maybe doesn't matter as much. But he's serving 6% uh worse on the first serve percentage 
So he's having to play more second serves. His double fault rate is only a half percent worse, saying it's 2.4%. So again, that Rublev match when it was 8% was maybe just a bad day for him. Seems to have figured it out since. But he's winning or he's saving a point and a half percent fewer break points saved. Which I know isn't a ton, but when it comes to break points, when one or two can kind of tilt a match, you know, that's that's kind of interesting. So I don't know how much to read into this yet, but I know obviously the results aren't quite there, at least in the first tournament, maybe first tournament and a half. So we need to watch his need to watch his serving. Like you were saying, Matt, especially let's look at the first serve because that's what I thought. His first serve percentage usually is a lot higher on clay. He does it on purpose, I think. Takes some speed off, tries to get it the first one in and win the point. But I don't know, kind of some food for thought. Again, I think it's a small sample size. Don't read too much into it, but we should pay attention to the Nadal serve, like you were saying. Agreed. All right. And then lastly, let's talk numbers for Federer. So I don't think we were able to talk about this last time. So he lost to, well, first he beat Evans, Daniel Evans, in a tight three-set match. And Evans, and Shane, that was like his practice partner. So that was, I think, they kind of knew each other's games, what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. But he, he beat him in a tight match for his opener, and that was cool. But then he lost to Nicolas Bashvili, even though he had a match point that he wasted against him. And Bashvili actually went on to win Doha, win the entire tournament. But regardless, I think we should talk about the numbers here that Federer put up. Didn't play horrible, but did so did show some signs of rust and obviously lost. First of all, he was serving pretty fantastic. He he aced 12.5% um, for his ace rate, which is amazing. No double faults. His first serve points one were 67%. So not super high for Federer, even for a hard court. You know, kind of maybe 10% lower than I would expect, but still still serviceable. 50% on second serve points one. That's that's fine as well. But and then and saving a decent amount of break points. But the return is really where it kind of showed that Federer, I don't think, is where he needs to be. And maybe that's why he went back to do some training. So he only won 23% of first serve points one. So again, you want to be closer, maybe 10 points higher than that, closer into the 30s. And then second serve uh, return points one were 50%. That was pretty good. And he was only able to convert 20% break points one. So really, Federer's got to get better on that first serve return and then hopefully be able to, to grid out some more break points. And again, a lot of that's just your movement, right? And you're, you know, maybe maybe some practicing to, to get a feel better for those returns. A lot of that is maybe reflexes or just standing in the right, right spots or, or the explosiveness needed to go and, and chase down those first serve returns. But I think that's really what killed him in that in that match against Bashlovsvili. You know, he he did have some rusty shots that he just shanked, but overall his movements I think got to improve, and I think he recognizes that. So interesting there, and another interesting one. So fifty-two percent Bashlovsvili won fifty-two percent of the points for the match to to Federer's forty-eight percent. So I know we say fifty-two percent, you're pretty much going to lose, but Federer did have a match point in this at at one point in this match. So. Uh, it was a three-setter, so maybe those – I think Bashvili started winning more points as it went on, so maybe it wasn't 52% at that time when Fed had a match point, but still an interesting data point uh, regardless. Uh, better just, you know, had a chance to win it, but I think I think more training will hopefully do him good because I know he's trying to peak at the right time for the grass season. So any thoughts on Feder, Matt? Uh, I, think that, I think it just shows that there's – 
understandably some rust that Fed needs to knock off, and hopefully he can do that here before the French starts. We'll see. Yeah. We get to see him competitive again. Yeah, totally. I'm just excited to watch any any points he can play. It's just fun to watch <laughs> Federer in general craft a sure. point, but the French might be tricky for him. Best of five, Clay yeah. playing a little slower. I think, you know, definitely be ripe for an upset, but it would just be interesting to see regardless, win or lose, if he how his match fitness is in the French. Can he go a five? Can he go a fifth set? Or is he, you know, he's he's king. I, I still don't think he's defaulted a match. Has he met or um, what's the word? Retired from a match. Pretty retired, sure he, yeah. Pretty sure he hasn't still. Because uh, I remember, I think it was two years ago against Dimitrov in the US Open, he could barely move, and I still don't think he defaulted that one or <laughs> retired from that one, not defaulted, sorry. So I think he still holds that record, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Five sets on clay would be brutal. So, All right, well, any last thoughts for this episode? That's everything. Yeah, well, we kind of covered a lot because we hadn't uh, done recording since basically post-Australian Open. You know, we've had a, a short, hard-court swing. And again, no Indian Wells, really sad. It's one of our favorites, but we had Miami. We've had a couple clay court tournaments and a few more clay court tournaments to go. French Open actually pushed off a week. So the grass court season is being compressed a little bit. It kind of makes me sad, but... Um, Those Parisians, they always do whatever they want. Do whatever they want, so... Yeah, the COVID. Two years I think in a row, man. They just don't care. <laughs> they don't care. Because no. I think they're hitting another wave with COVID, right? So they're yeah, they're uh, everything's kind of shut down over there. So delayed it a week, but the French Open been assured it's happening. Actually, even Wimbledon. They're uh, if you guys remember last year, they actually got paid out for the insurance for co- for pandemic insurance. Wimbledon paid for pandemic insurance and has been since two thousand. It's basically since SARS, I think, early two thousands. So they didn't hold Wimbledon last year, but made some money off of the insurance. It paid out, but they said this year the insurance would not pay out for pandemic insurance. So Wimbledon said, we are having the tournament no matter what, whether it's closed doors. They, they're thinking there'll be at least some fans, I think, right now. But just a data point, I don't think Wimbledon will be canceled this year like it was last. And the French definitely will be canceled because they'll just move it around the calendar. They don't care. So <laughs> anyway, it's exciting. Very excited for Wimbledon. And actually pretty excited for some clay court tennis as well. So uh, as always, visit us at CognitionSphere.com. And our theme music is brought to us by Kevin MacLeod with excerpts from his song, Cool Rock. And please share our podcast with a friend that loves tennis. And take a minute to write a quick review if you're enjoying our podcast. Um, And until next time, we will see you on the court.